Welcome to the podcast Sagacious IP Tech Talks with Sumit Prasad of Sagacious IP. This is a -a one-of-its-kind podcast focused on learning and sharing experiences of both intellectual property tool developers and their users from different industry verticals in their pursuit to uncover new age tools and technologies that shape the future of global intellectual property practice. Hear from tool developers and service providers, IP attorneys and partners, in-house IP counsels and IP practitioners to understand how AI, machine learning, robotic process automation, big data analytics, cloud computing, blockchain, and many other technologies affect the next generation of IP practices. So let's get into the podcast with your host, Sumit. Welcome to today's episode of Sagacious IP Tech Talks. Our guest for today is Donald O'Connell. Donald is the Managing Director of Charlton Innovation Services, a company that offers consultancy in the areas of innovation and intellectual property management. He was a former VP of R&D and a Director of IP at Nokia and also visiting researcher at IP, of IP at Imperial College. Since 2013, uh, Donald has been included into the IM directory, the world's leading IP strategist. Donald has specialization in trade secrets, IP risk management, and IP process development. With the diverse experience that Donald has to offer, let's take this conversation forward with him and learn from his experiences in the IP industry about tools and technologies that are influencing the IP practices. Hi, Donald. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much. I greatly appreciate it being invited to talk today. Uh, interestingly, Donald is also an author uh, of two books uh, related to IP. His first book, Inside the Patent Factory, was published in 2008. And his second book, Harvesting External Innovation, was published in 2011. Maybe we'll, uh, we'll, we'll hear more about these books and the excerpts and the journey that he had in the subsequent uh, portion of the talk. So, uh, Donald, take us through your journey of being in the IP on the both sides of the table, being in on the R&D front as well as on the IP management uh, front. And uh, more importantly, your take on the roles of role of these tools and technologies that are coming uh, becoming more popular these days in the overall innovation and IP consulting uh, business. Okay. Well, I should start by saying I'm I'm an engineer by background, not an attorney. I started as a software engineer worked for companies like Atari and Philips, then went into Nokia and went up mm-hmm. the traditional engineering career ladder. Uh, okay. I had some understanding of IP. I was an inventor, so I had some patents to my name. But um, uh, when I was in as VP of R&D in Texas for many years, I mm-hmm. uh, ended up doing a lot of projects or collaborating with the IP function and sort of spent time in either compliance projects or litigation projects. I quite enjoyed the interaction. And then I got moved sideways by Nokia. So I moved from R&D into an in-house IP function, became director of IP, responsible for uh, Nokia's patent factory, as we we called it, Um, (laughs) the relationship we had with outside IP firms, um, IP risk, and also the tools we were using. So suddenly, one of my areas of responsibility was to look at the tools that we were using within the in-house IP department. So that was my my initiation into understanding that aspect of, of IP. Uh, okay. Now, back in 2003, uh, timeframe, 2003, 2004, the tools were not as advanced as, as we have today. I mean, mm-hmm. 
back in those days, um, what's that, 20 years ago, you know, still people were using a lot of pen and paper. There were still uh, not many paperless environments. Mm -hmm. um, the tools were fairly basic. Uh, I remember being very frustrated about data quality in certain systems we were using um, um, to do certain activities that today you can do with one or two clicks of a button on the computer. It took weeks. I remember doing a uh, pattern cluster analysis exercise that took weeks. Um, so, um, you know, there has been tremendous changes in the whole world of IP tools over the last 20 years. So some people who may be new to tools today think it's always been like this. But 20 years ago, things were were radically different. And we were really just seeing the, the, the beginning of, of IP tools and solutions being embraced by both in-house IP functions as well as IP firms and IP service providers and so forth. And of course, I've been heavily involved and interested in that journey since. So does, does that give you enough of how I ended up in IP? <laughs> no, I, I, that's that's really good to visualize the change in the dynamics of IP tools through your lens of experience. I mean, how you have visualized it when you were back in, you know, back uh, managing these functions at Nokia and uh, and and things that are uh, right now which are much more advanced so uh, if i have to talk about uh, uh, the tools that you were using at that time uh, you you gave some glimpse so uh, what were the other tools that were prevalent at that that era when you were you know um, at i suppose for an in-house function the main two tools were uh, a lot of companies at that point were embracing IP data management systems to record their own assets, either patent data management systems or trademark data management systems, and also search tools. Mm -hmm. So they were the two main uh, tools that were were, uh, were dominating in-house IP functions. You had so you had some specialist tools that might be then taken into use as well, cost calculator tools, uh, claim mm -hmm. chart tools, and so forth. But they were quite niche. The main tools were, did okay. you have a good IP data management system to log and track your own assets? Mm. And did you mm -hmm. have some search tools to allow you to do various search functions, uh, prior art search, um, et cetera, et cetera. So they were the two two main tools. Major areas. Um, yeah. Um, so fast, fast forwarding, so fast forwarding yeah. these 20 years. So do you think right now also these are the two important areas or, or, or the requirement has changed now? Well, they're still extremely important and we've seen that i mean today there are tens if not close to over a hundred different commercial um search tools out in the market that that excludes free search tools there are 40 or 50 probably ip data management systems out in the, in in the market so clearly people have understood that this is important but what you've seen is the uh, explosion of of other types of tools um mm -hmm. Um, data and analytics tools, um, but then tools that are looking at other um, IP risk tools, trade secret tools, valuation tools, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we've seen an, the a great increase in the number, but also we've seen a great increase in the diversity of IP tools uh, in the IP sector. And of course, IP is very, very broad. I mean, uh, you can have uh, you can have somebody focus, let's say, on patent annuities. They're in the IP sector. You can have somebody focused on online anti-counterfeiting. That's in the IP mm -hmm. sector. You can have somebody focus on domain name registration. That's in the IP sector. You can have somebody focused on trade secret management. That's in the IP sector. So IP is 
extremely broad. So we shouldn't be surprised that we're also seeing quite a diverse range of tools emerge to help automate or to help support individuals or teams or organizations better manage their IP. So that's that's really interesting to know that, uh, to know your inclination towards the other form of IP, which is not very uh, often talked about. Uh, we often talk about patents and trademark, not about the trade secret and other forms of IP. So what's your story there? I mean, uh, is there a special inclination towards it due to some reason or, or, or that's just, just how it is? Yeah. Well, I must admit, coming out of Nokia, I was probably very focused on patents because uh, Nokia was a telecoms company. And of course, in that industry, mm-hmm. patents are probably the, the most important form of IP. But mm-hmm. my company had a bit of a, what we call a road to Damascus moment around 2013, 2014. Um, in a very close period of time, we noticed a few things happening. We became aware that the US was planning to update their trade secret laws. And one of my good contacts was involved in drafting that law in the US. Oh, so a conversation great. with him sort of prompted me to keep an eye on what was happening in the US. At the same time, uh, the Europeans were working on updating their trade secret laws. And again, a contact of mine uh, uh, from Ireland who was working on the task force kept me updated as what was happening there. Thirdly, um, we were aware that the tax authorities, which is a bit of a strange one, were also becoming more interested in intangible assets. Um, and their definition of IP was very broad and included trade secrets. Mm. And then the fourth trigger was we had already developed another uh, IP tool before that. And one of the big advisory companies approached us asking us if we were developing anything in trade secrets. So we, we suddenly realized, hang on, there's things happening with trade secrets. So we back in 2013, 2014, decided to spend a lot of time and attention on that particular form of IP, which has proven very, very positive for us because today trade secrets are much more interesting than they were perhaps five or 10 years ago, where they were very much seen as the neglected stepchild of IP. People didn't Agreed. really think about it too much. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So uh, right now at Charlton Innovation Services, uh, uh, can you quickly give us a overview of different personas that you cater to uh, with these tools or your services so that the yeah. listeners could understand okay where, where, what 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 they they are relating to in, in terms of trade so, secrets. so so we we're we're a, we're a small um, company and we've very much become now a, a, a legal tech or an ip tech company we have 10 different um, tools out in the marketplace uh, mm-hmm. some of them are very focused on trade secrets some of them on more on risk some of them on e learning on ip and a number of audit type tools. So we have we have users from operating companies, uh, both SMEs as well as uh, larger companies across different industry sectors. Um, because of our location, the majority of our licensees would be here in Europe, but we have we have licensees from from Canada to China. Um, mm-hmm. We also have, in more recent times, developed uh, licensees in within IP firms, uh, IP law firms, both boutique. IP firms as well as larger IP firms who, uh, in particular, IP firms that have a sort of consultancy arm or who are thinking beyond purely drafting of patents or registering of trademarks. So firms who are gone a little bit broader in their look um, are often interested in some of the tools we have. Um, We also interestingly have uh, licensees who are IP service providers. So 
people who also build tools and maybe provide IP services, not non-legal in nature. Uh, we have one or two licensees there. And interestingly, in, in more recent times, we are exploring the market at the interface between the world of IP and the world of finance and tax, which I think is becoming a really interesting interface um, because of developments in that space. So um, quite a broad uh, range of licensees, probably about half operating companies, half law firms at the moment. Okay, great, great. That's a good mix, uh, if I have to yep. say. As a, yeah, as we're, we're pleased with based. the mix, actually, yeah. <laughs> okay, so when you when you go to these customers, as you, as you said, uh, there are a few customers who are not really uh, limited to patents and registration of trademarks. So what are the objections uh, that you get when you go and talk about these tools or these services uh, with potential leads and with potential customers? And how do you overcome that? What's the triggering point for them to understand? As you said, five, seven, five or ten years back, uh, this was one of the neglected stepchild for of IP, but now since uh, there is a lot of, uh, how to say, uh, emphasis being given by the governments and the rules and regulations, even in the tax regime. So has the mentality changed or still you get those objections? Changed, yeah. Well, if you think, if, 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 if you think about operating companies, first of all, um, mm-hmm. Remember, most operating companies have no in-house IP manager. Uh, most have none. A few have one person responsible for managing IP. A few may have two or three people in their IP department. And then there are a few companies that have large IP departments, the, the, the Samsungs, the Apples of this world. But in most cases, you de- when you're dealing with a company, the um, in-house IP function is tiny. Mm-hmm. So... You have to, if, you, if you're bringing a tool or a solution to, into that environment, it's got to be, you've got to be able to very quickly explain that it's going to add value to that individual or that small team. They've got to see yes. the value. Yes. They've also are probably going to err on the side of picking tools that they can, uh, they, they can understand very quickly, they can get trained on very quickly, they can deploy very, very quickly. They don't have the luxury of spending six months or a year deploying the software, learning it before they can actually use it in anger. So hmm. simplicity is, is critical. It, it, even though the tool itself can have complexity, you, you need to almost hide that complexity and make the tool easy to use, easy to configure, easy to use, easy to take into use, and mm-hmm. be able to show that it's going to add value. Because mm-hmm. if you go in with it, a, it, can have, it can be the most complex piece of technology, but you have to convince the, the, the buyer very, very quickly that this will add value and it'll add value very, very quickly to them. The second issue you face is that um, some IP people are a little bit scared of technology. They're they're more accustomed to working in more the traditional ways. So you've got to also take them on a journey to explain what the technology is, what's the basic architecture, what's the the platform, etc., etc. And make them comfortable because they may have a fear about the technology. Uh, I know that might sound strange to say in this modern era, but mm-hmm. you know, they, these aren't technology guys. These are lawyers or attorneys or paralegals. They've been trained about the world of IP. They may not necessarily have been trained about technology and, and you need to be very careful that you don't confuse them or, or frustrate them or um, yeah, uh, add to their fear when you go in with, 
saying our technology does this and this and it's AI and it's got blockchain, yada, yada, yada. And they're going, I don't even know what you're talking about. So you've got to be very careful how you communicate with them. Um, okay. And I think they're, they're the two main things we've, we've found, that you've got, to, you've got to sit in the shoes of your client. And in many cases, the IP department is very lean. It doesn't have spare resource. It's got limited headcount. And you've got to try to then figure out, okay, how am I going to explain how my technology is going to add value? And you've got to listen very carefully to your client. You've really got to listen to them. Uh, and if they have fears or concerns or issues, remember, there's no such thing as a stupid question from the client. You may have stupid answers, but there's no such thing as a stupid question. And I think that is, that's a ma major issue when you're dealing with the operating companies. Now, when you're dealing with the IP firms, it's a little bit different. Um, the challenge with the IP firm is to first of all identify who in the firm is actually responsible for innovation. Who's responsible for technology? It often isn't the partner or whatever. The person you're dealing with talking about patents or talking about trademarks may not be the right person to talk about technology. So you have to identify the person within the IP firm who's going to be responsible for reviewing any new technology. And then make sure that you help and support that person, understand your technology, and how is it going to bring benefits to the IP firm. So it's a slightly different conversation with the IP firm. Of course, again, you've got boutique IP firms, uh, very lean and mean, and you've got the larger IP firms who are probably more um, fixed in their ways. They have certain processes and so forth. So dealing with one IP firm isn't the same as necessarily dealing with another IP firm. There are great differences across the IP firm community. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's true for all these services, even for uh, any, any, any adoption, you need to identify the, the most responsible person so that you get that adoption and at least acceptance within the company. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, talking about, again, coming back to the products and solutions uh, that, uh, that you have in trade secret and other forms of IP, what's the future of these products? Uh, where do you see uh, them uh, evolving in, next, let's say, next five to 10 years? Where, where I see things happening is, um, well, again, it's slightly different. It slightly varies depending on the audience. I suppose what I'm really interested in at the moment is where the tools, we have lots of tools in the world of IP that are mm -hmm. deep within the IP community. They don't get exposed to people outside the IP community. And I think more and more we need to think about in the world of IP, how do we have developed tools that we can then get information out of those tools or those systems that we can then articulate to key stakeholders, the C-suite, key stakeholders, key mm -hmm. um, people in other functions. And I think that more and more there's a demand in many of the systems and tools we have in the world of IP that at least some of that functionality or some of the data, whatever, will be exposed to people who are not in the IP community. I mean, yes. uh, the, the value of companies more and more is, is in their intangibles. So more and more there's a demand to be able to explain and articulate to the C-suite executives, what's going on in the world of IP? What what are we doing? What, why are we spending this money? How is it adding value and so forth? So I think mm -hmm. the ability of the of tools to help in that communication and to be able to better explain to non-IP people, IP people, what's going on, I think is a, a really critical aspect. So the the use of data visualization, the way to be able to see the big picture, that's a critical aspect, and um, mm -hmm. that's important. Uh, secondly. Mm -hmm. The, the interface between 
I think the world of IP and the world of finance is coming closer and closer. We see mm-hmm. it in many ways. We see it. You think, think about all of the recent developments. We see things like patent box or knowledge development box initiatives in the, by tax authorities. We see OECD BEPS. Mm-hmm. We see IP back lending. We see um, um, IP insurance. We see litigation mm-hmm. funding. These are all examples of where the world of IP and the world of finance are colliding. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I, w- I expect more and more that when we think about tools and systems in the world of IP, we've got to think about, okay, well, how could we possibly be impacted by the fact that the worlds of IP and finance are coming mm-hmm. much, much closer together? Yes, um, interesting. A third issue I see is that particularly for the larger IP firms and the larger in-house IP functions, you often end up with multiple systems in use within those environments. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you better, how do these systems better communicate with one another? Um, mm. That's an interesting challenge um, that you see in the larger enterprises or the larger IP firms, because you know lots of in-house IP departments in, in large multinationals they may have five, six, seven, 10, 12 different systems in use across their entire IP, IP department. Mm-hmm. Well, how do they talk to each other? How do they pass information? How do you ensure data um, uh, synchronization, et cetera, et cetera? I think that's an issue, but it's, it's really only an issue for the larger entities. That may not be an issue for the smaller entities. Mm. True, true. Yeah, I mean, this is this is really interesting. I mean, uh, especially the fact that how the fintech and the IP tech, which we uh, are talking separately these days, how these two collide and what's the uh, next set of tools that we are, or systems that we are going to see uh, where these uh, two operational bodies can interact with each other seamlessly. Yeah. So being a software engineer and uh, being a innovation manager uh, or, or, or an IP function uh, person, uh, based on your experience of uh, building the tools and working in the market, what would you like to share with the IP community who are exploring IP tools for their business processes these days? What What would be your advice to them? Well, if I perhaps share our philosophy. So mm-hmm. we have a number of different um, values guiding us when we develop any tools. So first of all, we, we are very much in the agile development mode. We, we, we feel that's the right way to go when you're developing uh, legal tech products. Uh, secondly, we're driven by what we call the KISS um, mentality, so keep it simple, mm-hmm. stupid. So mm-hmm. we strive, when we develop any tool, if it gets too complex, we are always asking ourselves, how do we simplify it? How do we simplify it? Um, how do we make it easier? Um, the third thing that drives our philosophy is um, we we have a, an approach which says when we get our early adopters, so when we bring a new tool to market and we have our first one or two licensees, smother them with kindness. In other words, look after them like like gods, listen to them because it's amazing. So we, we come up with ideas for new tools, but actually mm-hmm. when we then look at the improvements or enhancements we make to those tools in the months after launch, most of those ideas aren't ours. Most of our ideas come by listening to our clients. Mm-hmm. So we have a philosophy that says that after you launch a tool, listen like crazy to your clients. Listen to everything they comment, good, bad, or indifferent about your tools, because that's a rich source of ideas. So we have a philosophy which says, 
early adopters smothered them with kindness. Um, and there are probably three. Um, oh, yes, we have one other philosophy as well is um, look at the risk. So how can you de-risk your your development? So think about you don't. Uh, yes, there will be certain aspects of your technology that are new, but it doesn't mean that you can't have certain aspects of your technology that are old and well-established. Uh, so how do we de-risk our projects is, is a key. So we have the agile development, uh, keep it simple, listen to our early adopters, and then de-risk the projects where possible. And that has been our philosophy since our first tool came to market in 2013. Our, our, first, mm-hmm. our first tool was an IP risk register. And we've sort of kept that going, and it's, it's helped us. Now, I appreciate other software teams have different philosophies, but we have sort of those four guiding principles that we try mm-hmm. very hard to, to, to follow. And it's it's helped us. Um, I mean, we're a small team, so we have to be very lean and mean, um, mm-hmm. particularly when we've got 10 tools in the market. Um, that, that's quite a, um, a, a workload. But having a sort of a, a values driving us, having those values driving us has definitely helped. Does that answer your okay. question? Uh, has that helped? Uh- to, to some extent, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, what, what I wanted to understand from you is if someone as a user is trying to go for a tool, what ah, they should okay. look at. I mean, uh, this is helpful from the tool developer community side. Yeah. If you are developing a tool, what you should uh, you should consider if you are developing a tool. Well, but from the user perspective, how, how they should uh, go about it? Well, there's a number of challenges, unfortunately, for from the user perspective. First of all, like I mentioned earlier in the call, there there is quite a large number and a diverse range of tools out there. So finding out what's out there is easier said than done. I, I know you guys now have the IP tools hub, which I think is a major positive that you now can go someplace and at least get a directory and get some information about what's out there. But up until recently, it has been really hard to even find out what's what's available. Mm-hmm. I know as well, there's some, there are some specialists now in the IP space who focus in on this and helping people to identify. So you have to do a lot of searching to figure out what's out there. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, if you're a user, having a good um, methodology to understand, well, is this the right tool for me? So when, you, when, you, when you're looking at a particular tool, what are the things you've got to think about? You've got to look at, well, who is the vendor behind that tool? What does the tool do? What's the, the marketing collateral? Can I have a demo? What's the pricing? Um, how reliable is this vendor? Are there others who are already using the tool that I can talk to and get references from? Um, so just like when you buy anything, mm-hmm. you've got to do your due diligence. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, Am I buying the right tool for me? Am I buying it from the right person? Is it going to add value? Am I going to get the support I need? Um, what's the total cost of ownership? Uh, what's the underlying architecture? What's the quality like? What's the security like? Um, am I going to get good training? Am I going to get good support? Is the vendor going to listen to me? Um, and so there's a variety of things you've got to think about. When you This applies to any piece of software, not just IP uh, or, or legal tech. Um, mm-hmm. When you're buying any software, there are a variety of things you've got to consider. Now, obviously, the weight of each one will vary from one user to another. Some users might be very driven by cost. Others might be very driven by the underlying architecture. Others Mm -hmm. might be driven by, well, I'm only going to buy from 
larger multinationals and I'll avoid SMEs, which I think is, is mm-hmm. maybe, okay, I'm, I'm biased here, but I think maybe that's not a, a fair thing that sometimes you've got to look at innovation and creativity from the SMEs. It can be just quite as good as the innovation out of MNEs. But, mm-hmm. but there's a variety of things you've got to think about. But I think one mm-hmm. of the biggest challenges, is the first point I made, is that it has been really difficult for many users to find out just what's out there. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm still shocked. I mean, I've been in the IP sector now for many years. I'm still shocked about when I stumble across a new tool that's been out for a while. I said, I didn't even realize this tool existed. Um, yes. So finding out what's out there is is half the battle. But then when you found out what's out there, then being able to do your proper due diligence to say, is this the right tool for me? And um, and then, of course, just making that decision then requires, once you've made the decision, then getting that tool um, uh, deployed, getting trained on it, taking it into use. That That's also an interesting journey. But um, Great. It, it, it's mean, amazing that, the number of IP tools out there. That's, that's, the, that's the, big, the biggest shock to me. I, I, I keep being stumped by just how many things are out there either already developed or under development absolutely when we we were doing that due diligence of listing all the tools even we were shocked to see okay there are so many tools that are uh, either already in market they are catering to some businesses there's some business sectors and uh, it's it was really difficult to find all the tools under a single hood and that was the initiative that we took to you know bring everyone on a single platform yeah yeah and of course one, one other thing that makes it complex as well and we've discovered this Mm-hmm. As a as a developer of tools, we've sometimes brought a tool to market thinking this is the use case. Mm-hmm. And we've then been shocked when somebody else out there takes one of our tools and uses it, it uses it in a way we hadn't considered. Absolutely. So that's an extra complexity that you know we've we've had tools in the market and we've suddenly found a, a you know a law firm using it and we said, Well, why are you using it like that? And they went, Well, we can use it to do this and that. We said, Oh, that's amazing. We hadn't thought of that. So you've got that extra complexity as well that uh, just because you think a tool does X doesn't mean that somebody else can't use the same tool to do Y, um, which, is, which is great when it happens, but it just mm. shows you that extra layer of complexity as well. Yep. Well, that, that really answers my question. And uh, in case uh, our listeners have any questions, how can they contact you? Give us your you know, contact uh, preferred contact channel. <laughs> Yeah, my, my LinkedIn is I'm easily found on LinkedIn. So Donald O'Connell at Chart Innovation Services at LinkedIn. So please reach out and connect me there. My email is donald.oconnell at charton-ip-solutions.com. Um, our website needs needs an update. So um, yeah, my, our website, Chart Innovation Services, is out there um, if that helps as well. Um, but yes. I think probably most people connect to me via LinkedIn these days. Great, great. Thank you so much for your insightful talk, Donald. I'm sure the insights that you have shared will help our listeners in uh, uh, in, in rather understanding uh, the, the journey from your perspective. And, and most importantly, the, the important thing that I captured towards the end of your talk was how this uh, world of IP and world of finance is going to collide. And that's a really important uh, aspect to look at. And if we are forecasting the future, it has to it will be having some impact on the way ip tools are functioning these days and they will have to have that added connection to the finance in the financing world and uh, the the aspect of interoperability that you talked about that's really important uh, we have been hearing it in multiple you know talks about 
uh, how uh, how these tools are right now in the island of information they need to communicate with each other they need to have proper channels so that information can travel from one tool to another tool and uh, the user can then you know use that same information he has a luxury of using the same information in other tools so those are important aspects that we uh, we as an uh, tool user community we would definitely would like to see uh, in the coming uh, age of tools and um, the way it has evolved it's already very promising the way ip tools are evolving that's very promising for us and uh, uh, so that brings us to the end of today's podcast uh, stay tuned for more uh, episodes meanwhile thank you so much for your time donald and uh, i hope uh, the listeners uh, would have a good take good number of takeaways from your uh, from today's session and in case they have any suggestions or questions they can reach out to us or you directly on linkedin and uh, take that discussion forward Thank you so much, Donald, for being on the So much. Thank you very much for the invitation to speak. Thank you very much. Greatly appreciate it. Be safe. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to the podcast Sagacious IP Tech Docs with your host, Sumit Prasad from Sagacious IP. If you enjoyed this episode, please do rate it and listen to more episodes in the series. For more information about Sagacious IT for IP initiative and IP tools in general, write to us at info at sagaciousresearch.com. Please do note that the contents of this podcast were intended for general informational purposes only. The views of the guest and the host were their personal views and do not represent Sagacious IP. The facts of every legal, business, or technical matter are unique, and the content of this podcast should not be considered as offering legal, business, or technology advice for your specific situation.